Hello, my name is Isabella, and today's tip of the week is a multi-part one, and we're going to continue this into September. I am sure that we will all agree that an organization's managers are monumental in promoting an inclusion, an inclusive workplace. You want to make sure that that is happening. A manager is most often on the front line and acts as a bridge between your employees and the management. Thus, it is an, it really matters a lot that they know how to handle a diverse workforce. And that does not mean just diversity as in race, ethnicity, gender, and in age. It's also in skills and skills that matter. That can be cognitive skills. It can be diversity as in individuals with disabilities. It can be diversity as in, in people with some type of, of, it could be a veteran, it can be international. So think about diversity in different ways. So that is why managers need to be educated and trained to understand and support all employees and, and cultivate an inclusive culture. You wanna schedule cultural training, diversity workshops, and seeking to end an unconscious bias by educating your employees on the importance of having inclusion. Thank you so much. And we're going in to meet our next guest. So this week's guest is, I'm very excited to have him. I've known him for a while through LinkedIn and other podcast events that we've uh, mutually attended, but Ryan Estes, and please tell me I'm saying the last name correct. That's it. Estes. Yeah. Yeah. I have watched a few podcasts, but I went, I don't know, maybe somebody could have messed it up. But anyway, Ryan, thank you for being a guest on the show. Isabella, it's wonderful to talk to you again. Yeah, well, I got I, I know I told you before we got on the air, but I did get some swag from you. And I'm going to make sure our listeners know that you share swag. That's significant. Not a lot of people do. Well, I'm glad you appreciate it. You know, I, I have really made an effort to send thank you cards when it's appropriate. And, you know, we, we make all kinds of like merch and different stuff just to, to give away and, you know, spread positivity. Yeah, I get it. We have something like that too. We give out green screens and also adult coloring books uh, from our game. So, you know, those are easy to email. I love, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's cool. Green screens. Yeah, yeah. Cool. They're all uh, pictures of the planets um, from our game, our intern pursuit game. I, I know this isn't like about me, but I'm going to make sure I explain to you. We gamified the, um, process of having a game to pull people into our into our website and then we also have the podcast so it's part of the marketing legion it's fun love it yeah anytime you can inject fun into your your business world i, I feel like it's beneficial for everybody yeah thanks i appreciate the small little moment there too <laughs> anyway back to you so um just so our listeners know that you are a co-founder with also kitcast i Yes, it's KitCast also, but then also Wildcast. So before we get into that, what are the five words that you would use to describe yourself? I will write them down so I can prompt you as you share them. I thought I gave this some thought. Um, the, the words that I am hoping aspirationally um, describe me would be chop wood, carry water. That's interesting. Okay. So and those are five words. <laughs> yeah. Chop wood, carry water. Four. Carry I, water. I yeah. simplified it. So um, that comes from um, a, a great 
Zen monk named Dogen, and he was talking about the experience of enlightenment. And he said, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. And it's been inspirational to me um, because there's a work ethic involved. Now, I don't know exactly what enlightenment is. I've had some like uh, interesting things happen, but I wouldn't go be so bold as to say I'm enlightened. <laughs> Actually, I have so much to learn. But really, I think what it starts to speak to is um, the that there's still work to do, no matter what. Um, how it kind of comes to me is trying to separate myself from outcomes um, or not separate myself as much as separate my internal dialogue and my feelings. You know, entrepreneurs, you know, we love hockey stick charts, you know, of like the revenues going up. And when the revenue goes up, boy, you feel great. Um, when the revenue dips a little bit, boy, you feel terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it seems a little bit um, unsettling that outside factors like that can have such a a dramatic effect on my, just my mood, you know? So really as much as I can, you know, I see those numbers go down, you know, chop wood, carry water. I see those numbers go up, chop wood, carry water. Same old, same old. Yeah. What I got out of that is, you know, there can be extreme highs and extreme lows, like what you were just describing, but as long as you stay consistent and focused, that, you know, the day-to-day is the same. You can celebrate, I'm sure you would agree, celebrate those joys, <laughs> but you don't, you know, 15 minutes. And then if it's a a place of darkness or whatever, 15 minutes, that's it. It's still the same. Keep going on. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, I, there's kind of an idea that, that pain is inevitable and suffering is optional. You know, the, the way you hold pain, um, gives you a lot of uh, consolation. It can be healing, but the other side of that is, is suffering is in its, you know, the other side of that coin is joy, you know? So if you're kind of caught in this joy suffering roller coaster, um, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Actually. It sounds like a kind of a fun ride to be honest, Yeah, it does. (laughs) but for me personally, uh, um, as much as I wish I could say, I, I want to amplify my joy and, and minimize my suffering. I, I think the, the, the truth is, is that in order to um, nullify some of the effects the, of suffering, then you kind of have to like take, take joy with a grain of salt. You know, it's like, okay, not to say that there's anything wrong, obviously with joy, I, I want joy in my life, but nonetheless, chop wood, carry water. You know, we, we keep going. We, we keep doing this work that, that needs to be done. That needs to be the name of a book that you write. <laughs> oh, Dad Dogen. That you find a book about Dogen. He's amazing. I, I love Zen. Mm, you're a Buddhist, right? I am a Buddhist. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. what I, I kind of differentiate as an American Buddhist, but um, a lot of my uh, a kind of maybe um, formalized sitting practice has been um, Zazen in the Zen tradition, in the, the Zen in spiritual community are considered kind of the Marines of the spiritual community community, because it's, it's so austere. Um, but for me that uh, I really like it, you know, Mm. that is, uh, really very peaceful though, too. I mean, I got a sense of peace about just that as a phrase. I'm serious. It should be a title of a book though. 
<laughs> I'm going through this process of writing a book and, you know, trying to pick the right title. I went, that's really a good name. Can, <laughs> it'll have a lot of implied meaning, um, hidden meaning, everything behind it. All right. Yeah. Well, that was good. On a scale of one to 10, how hard is it to make a scalable business model? Because I find that one, this is the hardest thing I think I've ever done. What about you? Yeah, it's a 10. It's insanely hard. Yeah, because we choose to do it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to be like, well, I don't know. Somebody else probably is it's fun, but oh, you know, it's, it's really hard. You know, you, you, um, you can talk about scale, but it always presents new challenges, you know, um, and often there it's at odds with your, with your nature. You know, the, if you're getting an MBA from, from Harvard, for example, mm -hmm. you're not learning how to innovate and create new things. Rather, you're there as a managerial capitalist. You're there to not change things. It's like, Hey, we're at scale. Let's make it bigger, mm -hmm. you know? So uh, a, a bourgeois capitalist, you know, the, the innovators, the, the creators, um, that's my role. You know, that's what I do really well is like have an idea and execute, bring it to the table, find traction. Um, and then when it's at that point of scale, it's like, okay, wait a minute. You know, if I was making some craft soda at that point is like, maybe I should sell to Pepsi because Pepsi really knows scale, but I know craft soda. So, you know, I, I think it's really, really hard, you know, to, to, to operate at scale. I know the word gets thrown around a lot, but I feel like they're, um, they're, they're not opposites, but they're, they're cousins, you know, kind of the, the founder creator and then the managerial scale operator. Mm, you're so right. And having people around you that are either going to be great team members, right? And then having somebody that is a, an advisor that can see things more clearly than maybe you are. I know that you've worked with um, a lot of startups and we're going to get into your two startups, but you know, what is, what is like when you can see something and the other, your customer, your your whoever it is that you're coaching, they don't see it. How hard is that to get them to come around? Might be impossible, you know. <laughs> I yeah. mean, yeah, we ask for coachable people, right? So yeah, yeah, you know, and um, there's kind of a a personality trait called a skip learner, mm -hmm. where if you kind of are introduced to an, the end result or the outcome of, of something, you can like reverse engineer all of the thinking that got you there. You're like, oh. I get it. I get it. You know, um, I, I think I have some of those attributes and it, it can be kind of frustrating sometimes when you, you see people making decisions where it's like, well, Hey, there's four potential outcomes here and none of them are what you want. Why are you doing this? You know? Um, but I, I think humans are very complex. And so a lot of times people don't know why they're doing what they're doing. Maybe they have no idea. Maybe they're just compelled to do it. Um, maybe, they're afraid to look at it. Maybe they're doing it for a reason that's not the true reason, but there's other motives. I mean, you know, people are very, very tricky. So particularly if you're talking about in a coaching role, for example, and, or in just like a, a teaching or mentoring, or, you know, just a leadership role, figuring, figuring out what people actually want um, is kind of, kind of the task. <laughs> you know, but yeah. it's, it's hard, especially when people don't even know what they want. Yeah, you're right. Complex was the word that you used to describe people. I totally agree with you. 
we're all so complex. We we think we want one thing and it's not at all what we think we want. So let's talk about um, KitCast. Or let's talk about that one. Is that your first startup? No, no, it's um, it's my recent s- startup. I've had, you know, I've had a series of businesses that have uh, succeeded and I've had just a whole bunch of failures. Um, KitCaster is a podcast booking agency. We book guests on other people's podcasts. Um, we work largely with funded startup founders, entrepreneurs with exits, C-suite executives, and we book them on the world's top podcast. Like, um, so, so KitCaster kind of started out of COVID really. We launched a couple months before COVID and, um, because there was such a boom, um, in podcasting, particularly remote remote podcasting during COVID, we kind of caught that wave and just had kind of an opportune time to release that product. Mm, yeah. And I believe that was the first company that I met you through is that one. When I went to a conference, I honestly can't remember the conference, but I know it was, you know, right around that time and it was at a booth. Um, so what is Wildcast then? What do so, they have in common or do they support each other? Yeah, you know, Wildcast currently is a podcast booking platform. So where Kitcaster is a done for you service, you know, we've got a team of 25 podcast agents that help our clients. Um, Wildcast does a very similar function um, as a, a dashboard and a platform. So it's not it's not a, a service, rather it's it's a SaaS product. Mm. Um, but currently we are actually transforming the product into a podcast advertising platform. Um, we really saw a great need for podcasters that have particularly uh, domain authority to monetize their show. So we're kind of setting out to do exactly that at scale. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> that scale word at scale. Yeah. You know, because you know, it's, 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 it's pretty easy to, to sponsor, let's say a half dozen podcasts and manage those relationships, you know, but if you want to, if you want to sponsor a thousand podcasts, that's going to be tough and you need, you need a tool that can do it for you. And um, we're setting out to do just that. Hey, uh, totally unrelated, but are you going to the SAS TR conference in San, San Francisco next week? Saster. No, I am not. Ah. I couldn't, I could make it work. I really, I really wanted to go. Are you going? I am. They're doing this whole DEI and there may still be tickets, but you can apply and it's a $2,000 ticket and you go for all three days and it's amazing. It's my first time. And I'm going, Oh wow, this is the conference to go. I don't think I qualify for DEI. <laughs> Well, <laughs> it, it, it can in many ways, ways that you may not think, because maybe what you're doing is you're teaching people that are underrepresented or underserved how to launch their podcast. So if that's your focus and that's how you wrote it, then yes, you are DEI. That's awesome. Okay. I am DEI. I, I thought I was just a, pl- a basic white dude. But no, I'm just kidding. No, that's, yeah. that's really cool. That's really cool. Um, yeah, I think that's going to be an amazing conference. Are you in um, San Francisco? I, no, I'm in Denver. Okay. Yeah, you'd have to get there. And it's the 11th through the 13th. Killer. So you know what? I'll still send you the name of the person. And if you can, it's, it's a simple application. Please I don't know do. what the week is. But 
Yeah. You know, or, or our co-founder Brandy, I mean, she might be able to make it too. She can, I got in, she can. Yeah. She could get in. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a woman. So yeah, she definitely meets the criteria, but you can, she can ask for two tickets and then you can both go. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm passing that one on for you guys too now. Hot tip. Um, Thanks, Isabella. Yeah, you're welcome. So with these particular services and with the whole scaling, what did you do? What was your path like, your career path from school to where you are now? Because we kind of skipped the line on that one. Yeah, long and winding, you know? Yeah. Um, in, in school, I studied uh, music business. That was back when there was a music business, um, which was kind of odd at, at the University of Colorado. So I was working in uh, audio engineering and music business. And I was a touring and performing and recording artist at the time and really wanted to uh, career in music. But as I found out, uh, music isn't really the fulcrum of uh, commerce for most. (laughs) 1% of the people make 99% of the money. Yeah, Um, that is very, very true. Which I was very happy for my 1% sliver of the money um, until I had children and realized that uh, really it's time to to get serious about this. So, you know, I kind of started entrepreneurial pursuits um, uh, by necessity, you know, um, I, I left college, you know, I'm a college dropout and always felt kind of insecure about not having my degree. And so it's like, really, I mean, I don't want to, you know, show up on a job interview and why did you quit school? And it's like, Oh, well, I don't know. I wanted to make music with my rock band. Um, that seems like a, a yeah, <laughs> an interesting it story. The door. No, it it's doesn't. a great story. First off. <laughs> yeah, story. no, 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 it was great. I, you know, I, I kid, but, um, really, so I started almost immediately and, you know, I had many kind of square jobs doing different things, but music was always kind of a side hustle, so to speak. I mean, a passion project for sure, but that really spun me into like web development and doing marketing for and promotion for bands, which, you know, so I always kind of had little side things going on and was always kind of improving my skills and my capabilities. Um, and then, you know, once we kind of found some success, really started working on kind of leadership and managerial type responsibilities and how to um, create cultures that are, are nurturing for people to come into, how to create positive experiences for clients, um, how to grow as a leader and how to, how to grow our team um, in kind of a humane way, for lack of a better word, you know, um, care and you know, right livelihood is important to me. So um, that kind of goes into everything I do, I think, at least as much as I possibly can is to really kind of deliver with care. So, you know, between school, which was uh, the 90s, <laughs> and now there's been there's been uh, quite a few different businesses that I've, I've, I've started and stopped for various reasons. Mm. So, that's interesting because a lot, you'd be surprised, I would say about a third, which doesn't maybe sound like a lot, but it is, to me, it's a lot. Um, a third of the people that I have interviewed have not graduated from college. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, honestly. And my career path has been all about education. Yeah, I could put my mom up against anybody that was a college graduate and she could hold her own and she was a high school graduate. Um, she was a very well-read and I don't think that every degree requires a, de- you know, going to school, a college degree. 
I mean, every career doesn't require a college degree. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could study Twitter in college now. So yeah. how important is college degree? Well, <laughs> Depends on what you're going for, online, you know? Right. You know, just yeah. an influencer, you know, and then I don't know, you know, figure it out, but it's, um, it's not that hard for some, some career paths now, like even graphic designers. I mean, they have Canva now. Interesting fact though, when I had sent some uh, things that we designed in Canva to a printer, they do not like Canva <laughs> products because they're not properly packaged for printing. And so it'll look great on our computer, but when it gets to the printer, it's like a mess. And so it requires somebody either going back and editing it for print or having a graphic designer fix what you didn't know how yeah. to well, you know, and like, I think graphic design is a great example of like a really smart opportunity to go because it's more of a technical understanding, right? Two years. you know, so it's, I think, yeah, it's a two year degree. You, you get kind of a trade out of it. I think that's really smart. I mean, I would, I, I would love to be in a position where I can go back to college, but I'm afraid that like any kind of practical use of that would be out the window. I'm, I'm a fan of like liberal arts, you know, I want to go study, you know, philosophy and history, right. you know, I, I really like to study rhetoric because that becomes so kind of influential, if influential in the work I do. Um, I just want to go have fun. I love school, you know? Yeah, so I, I, I remember, I remember being a student and just being, feeling really like, you know, just sad that like I, <laughs> everything I wanted to learn, people are like, you can't use that for anything. It's worthless. Or, you know, there's kind of a, that spirit and, you know, it's not that they're wrong. You know, I, I met a guy the other day who went to NYU and spent $300,000. He got a degree in poetry, you know? And I was like, boy. Okay. So I'm going to tell you, no, I disagree with all of that type of thinking. Liberal studies are awesome. And there's new uh, research studies out there and not even just the research, but the trends are that employers like students that have any type of a liberal studies degree, because they usually have a global perspective. They're usually people that are well-read, they can write well, and they are able to think quickly and have really good ver verbal conversations. So they find that they're more ad adept at also being trained. So that's a plus for you. If you decide to go back, it's going to that's make a good people point. more valuable, but that's you're a really head good of a point. company. So, like. <laughs> you know, but, but we, we hire, you know, all of our, our teammates, they're all creatives. They're artists and musicians and um, writers, because that's really in our work. What, what it demands is like, you got to, you got to be able to write. And on top of that, you got to be able to be persuasive, yes. you know? So, so yeah, the, I mean, I'm a huge fan, proponent of the liberal arts. However, with my children, I'm like, you know, you should probably go to trade school first, figure out what you want to do, yeah. you know, <laughs> go work a while. So you figure out what you don't want to do yeah. um, and then go to university and, and have that big experience um, would be my, my advice to my children. Of course, are they going to listen to me? Probably not. I don't know. They listen to you more than you may think. And I think I agree with you. I think that is solid advice. There was a day back in school. I was uh, in school in Kansas. And if you're in the Midwest, like you are in Colorado, they probably had courses that were geared more towards, um, you know, like lifestyle, being able to cook, learn how to sew, things like that. I don't know. Maybe they don't do that in 
in Colorado anymore. Well, we're not the Midwest. How dare you no, say that? Not. We're, <laughs> we're the Rocky Mountain. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, no, but I, you know, I think trade school is really smart. Yeah. Um, college is insanely expensive now, you know? Yes, it is. So, um, you know, when you're 19, 20 year knucklehead, I mean, if they take after their old man, then they most certainly will be too. Um, and it's a good time to, to make some money, you know, and have some fun without the pressure of like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. You know? So it's like, uh, trade school is a great intermediary because it kind of keep them out of trouble for a couple of years, getting some kind of licensing. Then they got a couple more years of working, see how they like that. And then at that point, go get your, uh, computer engineering degree what else would you possibly study if you want to make money you are we are we even having a conversation here what's happening we mm-hmm. need computer engineers that's it that's that's my my dad's speech um mm. coming out but you, you know you at the end like of the day it really will be kind of <laughs> no i feel like i'm me okay. <laughs> i'm the dad <laughs> yeah my dad was always cool whatever so long as i didn't ask him for money, you know <laughs> <laughs> he's like knock yourself out in school you forget my number Okay, um, but but yeah, you know it, they'll find their own way. But ultimately, I I am trying to guide them to, um, you know, to computer sciences and the opportunities it allows them. And maybe you can tell me if you think I'm wrong. But it seems like now all the jobs that I understood that existed, which are like you know Mister Rogers' friends, you know the the if you're a mailman or mail person, forgive me. Um, a fire person, you're a teacher, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, all these jobs seem way more complicated and difficult now in the modern era, you know, and like the, the folks that I know are good friends of mine that are doctors are really struggling, you know, the teachers that, that are friends of mine really struggling, you know, so um, as a kid, you don't really understand the applications of computer science, you know, who would have thought that a podcast booking agent is a job that exists. It doesn't even mm-hmm. make sense, Yeah, you know, but it's actually a really good job, you know? So, you know, by studying um, computer science as being the backbone, you know, my son wants to be a, a forest ranger. I'm like, man, that's awesome. But, you know, it's going to be a really challenging job that's stuck in bureaucracy. And it's also stuck on a pay scale. It's probably based on eighties or, or uh, you know, a pay range from the eighties or nineties is like, it's not going to be a great job, but if you love nature and you love the outdoors and you love helping people, computer science can be applied to that in a way that's like a really fun job. Um, that gives you a lot more opportunities. Um, but you know, they're kids, so they're having a really hard time uh, co-signing that they're going to be in front of glowing rectangles for the rest of their life. And I don't blame them at all. That's kind of a tough, tough on us. This is what I would flip it. I used to work for the Nature Conservancy for two years. Cool. So I think, well, right now the trends are they're making code that can kind of build itself. And they're also making it so that it's um, anybody can code without even having to know languages. And I just talked to a guy in Turkey who's invented something like that. So this isn't something I haven't heard. What the trends have been is they need to go into machine learning, AI. And then that's a very different, it's a higher level than regular programming. The other thing I would say to add on to what you just shared about your son is I would say, yeah, if you want to be in conservation, then help solve the problem of plastic. 
you know, get into mm. areas where that same type of technological thinking and science is, but so, can you invent something that actually doesn't need plastic and it can, you know, be biodegradable and it's good for the environment that would be worthy. And that comes into programming, honestly. Yeah. You know, what's interesting too, is I may have just talked myself into a circle because like you said, kind of the, the no code movement, where if you have uh, an idea you can execute without knowing how to program, they have applications that can write the code for you. Mm -hmm. So really what you're going to need to do is understand problem solving and yeah. you're going to have to, it's not it, what you think as much as like how you're thinking. So now we're back to the liberal arts again. We're like going to school and being trained classically um, on these liberal, liberal arts will actually help you much more for, than the actual uh, technical ability because the technical ability will be automated. Now we need people who can think broadly. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, so there's always going through this whole process as to what are the opportunities that are definitely out there. So thanks for sharing all of that. And that was a really good conversation as it applies to any of our younger listeners that might be questioning what to do with their life for sure. Um, so favorite quote that you use, I'm going to guess it's chop wood, carry water. But maybe you have more than one quote that you also use because I, I'm on the edge of my seat wondering what that is. You that know, I think it's actually that helps you to stay focused, that gives you inspiration. But maybe it's a little cliche, but you know, the golden rule means a lot to me, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, just do unto others as you to have them do unto you. You know, I think um it, it speaks to a couple of things that are are insights that I've had, which is kind of like, we're all the same. Like I, I would treat you the way I treat myself largely because um, we're the same thing. You know, if you zoom out, then there is kind of a unity in all living things, which is something that I've experienced, you know, um, before I've had any experience of that. I also kind of um, grew up in, in the Lakota traditional ways, you know, so they say, Omotakuye Oyasin, you know, which is like all my relations. Again, it's like we're all related, you know. So it's it's interesting in, in this day and age because we're finding ourselves as a culture like kind of inundated on a lot of mental health issues. Mm -hmm. So it's I don't know if that's reflected as well in, in the golden rule, because some people have a real terrible opinion of themselves and would actually be. Uh, more likely to treat somebody else better. So I think the reflection of that is is also important. You know, treat yourself the way you would treat other people. You know, if you're a great tipper to other people, man, tip yourself too, you know? So I, I think um, self-care and then as kind of a root practice of like um, finding kindness for yourself and then being able to like express that um, to other people is it, it's just a, it's a great quote. Somebody should write that one down. Yeah. You can make that as the first chapter of your <laughs> All of yeah. these are going to lead into you writing it. I don't know if you've written a book, but I'm going to tell you, yeah, this is what the next book should be if that is the case. So hardest lesson that you had to learn, because maybe you didn't listen to parents or whatever, had to learn that actually changed your life. Yeah, I've learned a lot of hard lessons because I'm kind of hard headed, 
Mm. Um, so, you know, I think a, a really important one to me um, is kind of to not wrap my identity in the things that I do. Um, you know, I, I kind of talked a little bit about my music career and that was a very strong identity for me. And when, when I left kind of the music industry in kind of a dramatic fashion and really drew a line in the sand, like that's it. And I mean, I put away, uh, you know, sold my piano, I put away my guitars, like I stopped listening to music. That's when I started really listening to podcasts in the first place. Um, it was hard and it was, uh, destabilizing of like, well, who am I? You know, um, I remember it was years ago, but I was kind of bringing in friend groups. I, I'd kind of come back to music a little bit in the sense that I had a community choir, mm -hmm. which was one of the funnest things I've ever done. So yeah. I was bringing like work friends in to meet some of my old friends and, um, you know, my old friends just kind of commenting that my, the, the folks I've been working with for a few years had no idea that I was a musician, which is kind of like a dagger to like, I was a musician. Yeah. It was just, it was just so stunning to them because that's all they knew from me for a decade or more, you know? Um, so, so leaving music and kind of having this like deep kind of uh, earthquake in my personal identity helped kind of shake that loose and, and realize that it's okay to walk on those, those kind of um, unsure legs of like, who am I? Um, because as I developed different products, you know, I had a uh, SMS subscription cookie company. I created something that was a hybrid between a blanket and a pillow. I had several other terrible ideas that went nowhere. Um, but I, I found out that I could get excited and, and talk to people about this um, because I knew if if the product didn't work and I had to uh, I had to kill the project that it wasn't me. I wasn't the cookie guy, mm -hmm. you know, it was like something I was, I was doing and, and just moved on to the next. Um, so that really helped me to, to kind of be able to have a gut check. And if something I was doing that I was passionate about wasn't working, then I could move on. Um, and I think particularly for entrepreneurs, the, the ability to, to identify when something's not working, kind of set some KPIs around it, and then actually killing the project when it needs to go is, is a really critical, um, a critical component of being an entrepreneur. So I, I did not realize that you also got rid of all of your instruments. That reminds me of like what Cat Stevens did, I believe. And just so our listeners know, that is also a musician. Um, he <laughs> turned into a Buddhist, I believe, also. Muslim. Right? A Muslim. Muslim, yeah. And he pushed all of his music aside. And then that is it. That's where his life was focused. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I it was a, it was a, <laughs> painful, painful time. It had you know? to be. Yeah. It's, it was terrible. I, I was doing a benefit concert for the, um, wounded Marine fund. What is it? I, I don't think I mispronounced it, but wounded warrior, that was it. Yeah. Wounded warriors, mm -hmm. the wounded warriors. And I had negotiated an 80, 20 split. Basically we got 80% of the door and they took 20% plus the liquor sales or whatever. And at the end of the night, long story short, you know, we had sold the place out um, and we're expecting, you know, I don't know, 10,000 or something like that. And they, they didn't pay, they didn't honor the agreement. So, you know, I had the lady like, you know, wake the, the owner of the club up from, cause it was four in the morning or something insane. And he's like, no, we don't do, do 80, 20 splits. 
you know, just, in ba and I had an agreement, you know, and, and it just had happened so many times in the music business, which is a little corrupt. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> and it, it drove me crazy. So I had to be a drug out of there after breaking a table, I think something very embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it hurt me so bad because I was so excited about doing something cool for somebody else. We ended up paying, you know, what they would have earned anyway, because we felt like we were kind of indebted to the wounded warrior project, but, um, it just soured me so much on the music business because it was such, so indicative of the experiences I had that I just, <clears throat> I knew I would never be able to like get out unless I completely cut myself out just because I love music so much. So I don't know how healthy that is psychologically. <laughs> not. I, I think, I don't think you have to like quit in dramatic fashion. Um, but, but for me, it's, it's kind of the steps I had to take. I don't know. I think that that was okay, honestly, because there comes a place where you, you choose to leave something because it can be highly addictive in, in other ways that can <clears throat> make it so that you're not balanced in your life. Um, and if you're recognizing that, then it's okay. Yeah. Maybe I'm just embarrassed how it went down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, somebody told me this also, this was good advice. They said, okay, if you're thinking that this is going to matter in five years, look at it in five years. Do you see that it matters? And I'm going, no, I, I don't think it will matter at all. Whether it was something I said, or I did, is anybody going to remember it? I don't know. Was there a video of this on social feeds? Then yeah, somebody will pull that up. That's for sure. But if there's no pictures or video, then it's pretty easy to say in five years, it won't matter. That's right. And there was no evidence. So yeah, there's no evidence. People don't remember that. Stuff, you know? like, next day, 80% of what they uh, heard is gone. So you sit here and go, okay. You know, repetition is the thing here. Well, what yeah. is the one skill that you believe everyone should focus on that brings that brings out the best in other people and themselves? Um, I'm be a little sentimental, but I, I think, uh, loving kindness. Um, and I, I think I, I look at loving kindness as a technology, um, as something that I do. Um, there's a great, uh, Buddhist, uh, contemplative practice called Metta meditation. Um, Metta is just a Sanskrit word for loving kindness. Um, mm -hmm. and what it is, is essentially you can have kind of a, a set of affirmations, you know, um, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be free from suffering, may you be free from mental anxiety, may you feel safe, may you pass the time in life at ease. That's, that's what I use. Um, and the idea behind it is you repeat this to yourself. So on one hand, you get a, a little bit of mental freedom by giving your brain something to chew on. I know some folks kind of get into, um, mindfulness meditation. And it's just so darn boring because, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, whereas yeah. mon mantras give you something to do. And in this case, what you're doing is you're extending loving kindness into the world. And, you know, the way I was taught was like, you start with yourself, you know, you start saying, may I be happy, may I be healthy. Um, and then you move on to the people you love, you know, that it's really easy to extend um, love to other people. It can be, it can be challenging to, to, send love to yourself sometimes. Um, after I'll kind of go through my wife and my kids, um, then I'll kind of go to neutral people. 
So maybe it's the the barista I see every morning. It's the yoga teacher that I see everyone's like, oh, hey, may you be happy, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if I have enough time, then you start working into people that you're in conflict with, um, which sometimes might be your partner too. <laughs> maybe they yeah. come up twice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, but maybe maybe it's uh, client relationships. Maybe it's uh, somebody at work driving you nuts. Um, the people that are kind of uh, occupying your mental bandwidth um, in a non-productive way. Um, you extend that mantra to them. May you be happy. May you be healthy. Um, and it has a really healing quality about it. Mm -hmm. You know where you know you're so accustomed to. Uh, just say for myself. You know, if I'm in conflict with somebody, I'm like reviewing scenarios in my brain, what I should have said, what I'm going to say, um, how I'm going to write this email, like different kind of like non-productive things. Not that it, there's anything wrong with that, but um, really what I think what I'm trying to do in this world is like, you know, I wish them well, you know, and to actually say that to yourself and put it out there. That's where I start to feel like this becomes not just like... Um, an idea, but it's a technology. It is, it's a, it's a transformative practice um, that can, that's really beneficial personally, at least for me. Okay. Now I'm going to pull this one back in together here for you. All right. Chop wood, carry water. That's the name <laughs> of your book. All okay. of these affirmations become, you know, little vignettes that people read. And then you pepper in little humility stories where you've, I'm, I'm digging it. I'm telling you, I would buy this book. So Think about it because I'm terrified to write a book. I just get in front of a blank page and go blank myself. Uh, you but just have to <laughs> take all of these podcasts that you've done and then turn around and go, well, what was the story that tied to this affirmation? And then you, it honestly will write itself. I, I, think, I, like, I, think. I, like, I like your idea. I'm, I'm too scared to write a book. <laughs> I'll help you with that. <laughs> nice thanks yeah because i sit here and i go man this has a lot of potential so it can go uh, quite a ways well so who in your life has had the biggest impact for you it can be living or dead honestly yeah you know um my wife's grandfather uh opa he was uh, an absolutely extraordinary man. Um, there are a lot of people that have had, I, I'm, I'm very blessed. You know, my, my mom and dad are still alive and awesome. Um, I've got a very nurturing family. I've got lots of friends. Um, but Opa was a little bit different, um, in the, he had kind of like, a angelic presence for lack of a better word, like just, unbelievably positive and supportive. Um, he was a major general in the Marine Corps and then uh, ran San Diego's uh, energy company um, before he retired um, and had just this unbelievable way with people um, and the way he would make you feel. And I always felt like, wow, he really understands me. And it's so special to me. And, you know, at his funeral, there was thousands of people that felt that way. Um, and just got to hear all these stories of all these incredibly wonderful things um, he'd done and ways he had gone out of his way to, to help people. And um, he was just, he's just an extraordinary man, you know? Um, and it, it was important for me to see that, to, to see that, that it's kind of possible. Um, you know, it's, uh, 
I, I hate to think that I'm like pessimistic in some aspects, but I suppose we all, we, all of us are. And, you know, you, your heart gets broken a couple of times and you start to kind of th- maybe think the worst about people, but also the best is possible too. And uh, he's such a, just a great example of that. Mm, that's a nice tribute. And especially to somebody that wasn't like directly responsible for raising you, um, yeah. you know, and it still had a huge impact. That's really nice. Yeah. I met him when I was 25, you know, so mm-hmm. it was later and it was like, it was the right relationship I needed as I was kind of like figuring out how to be like an adult, you know, um, especially for someone like me who really kind of went down kicking and screaming to never grow up, you know, <laughs> so mm-hmm. he, he was a great bridge for me. Yeah, I don't think you're alone. I, I can walk that path with you too, for sure. <laughs> We're going to take a, a moment to acknowledge our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and we will be back. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. And we're back to the second half of our show, where we talk about the future of jobs and industries in 2030. And just as a reminder to our guests, it is Ryan Estes, who is with us. He is a co-founder with KitCaster and also Wildcaster. So I am so thrilled to have you here. So what do you think 2030, I said caster, but it's supposed to be Wildcast. What is the future of work going to look like in 2030? Okay. I don't know if you've been watching this uh, show. It's been on for a little while, Black Mirror, but I'm going to tell you, it is one that's really making me take pause and go, what is, what are the ethical implications of having so much AI in this world? I'm not going to lie. It kind of scares the crap out of me. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) because people are people like you said at the beginning they're complex some of them are not nice people yeah i know there's some hurt people out there um black mirrors absolutely fantastic also possibly one of the most terrifying thing ever um what does the future work look like in 2030 i really don't know you know right or wrong we're just making guesses right so i sit here and i think it's a blend of maybe the matrix and, hmm. and in black. Those are two totally different, but yet it's possible, right? So are you on board the alien train? Are you excited as me that the Pentagon is releasing all this information on yes. UFOs? Do I so think exciting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do me I too. think that they're here on this planet? Yes. Rod, you know, what is that basketball player's name from Men in Black where they said Rodney? What was the name? <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, Dennis Rodman. Yeah, Dennis Rodman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, yeah, it has to be him. Hundred <laughs> percent. Okay, yeah. I've got a vision of the future. All right, it's twenty twenty two, so we're talking about eight years. Maybe it'll be faster than this, mm-hmm. but we're talking about AI and deep fakes. Everybody's really concerned about the negative applications of deep fakes because what if they make uh, a fake video of Biden saying he's going to drop a nuclear weapon on North Korea and North Korea fires at South Korea and it, it creates this huge escalation problem. Right. That sounds really scary for sure. But why aren't we talking about the awesome applications of, of deep fakes? So mm-hmm. I can see in the near future. Oh, shoot. Hold on just a sec. Okay. 
in the near future, what's going to happen is we're going to be having a conversation with Siri and we're going to say, Hey Siri, um, make me a movie right now starring Brad Pitt and Selma Hayek. I want two car chases in it. I want there to be UFOs in it. And I also want it to happen in Africa with giraffes. And then the AI just goes, Bloop, and then you get to watch that movie. I think there's something that does that. I think there is. I think I, it's I think getting that came pretty from close. The Ray Bradbury uh, story too. Oh, really? Yeah, I really do. I think it was called the uh, Serengeti or what? Yeah, I'm not sure. But I read about this in the book about the metaverse and Ray Bradbury. Ray Bradbury. Uh, yeah, Ray Bar Bradbury. Um, it makes sense oh, because obviously why not, you know, or you could say like, Hey Siri, um, play me a song. I want Jimi Hendrix on guitar. I want Bob Marley singing the song. I want Pitbull to do the breakdown. Um, and I want John Bonham playing drums and I'll just be like, yep, and then put it all play together the song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was called the Velt V E L D T. And that was a short story that he had done. I don't know whenever it was. And then there was like a, some kind of a movie that was made out of it where, yeah, go look that one up <laughs> for sure. Um, but I absolutely think something like what you're proposing, I, I bet there's somebody doing it in stealth mode. I was just, totally. I was just of course you have to. somebody today and she's created a no code game. And it was amazing. She was showing it to me. I said, this reminds me a lot of um, Powtoons because you're giving me all of the tools to be able to put together a really amazing video because I've got illustrations, kind of like Wix also. You're giving me music. You're giving me this and this and this. And I put it together so it becomes a game. Like, that's awesome. And she said, yeah, it is very similar to that. So you don't even know, have to know how to code. So what you're actually telling me is how we can produce these videos where it's virtual reality. Let's even go there with it. Yeah, totally. Or augmented reality where it's like, yeah. actually, I don't want Brad Pitt and Selma Hayek to be in a movie. I want them to be in the room with me. Yeah. So I look over there and Selma Hayek's chilling, you know, that would be cool. I mean, and, and the other thing that's interesting too is the implications is, is like, I say Brad Pitt and Selma Hayek, um, but that also means that like, there probably be no movie stars anymore. Like, we grew up in like peak movie star, peak pop star era, but now there's 72 different streaming platforms and there might be some hit TV show that I've never even heard of right. with a cast of people I've never even seen before. And you know, don't forget, you have people on YouTube creating their own content who all then the time. become the people. So yeah. it's like, who are the celebrities? Exactly. You can't keep up with them. And like, why would you make a big movie starring some new guy when everybody knows Tom Cruise, you know, because no one can get to Tom Cruise level ever again, because the audience is too, uh, is too separated. Yeah. So, you know, with deep fakes, it'll be like, okay, well, you know, let's just make all the movies with Tom Cruise. Why not? Because mm -hmm. that's who everyone wants to see anyway. So, you know, eight years in the future, 20 years in the future, it's still all the same like movie stars and artists, but now it's just being retold new stories through them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if that's going to happen, but it, it seems like it. Why, why would you take the chance on like mm -hmm. a real flesh and blood person when you can just write, a, write them into the computers? Yeah, write a script, take their, their subconscious or their conscious self and 
put it inside of some type of an avatar. Yeah, it's digital twin, literally. I mean, some of this, I can't help but this just being depressing in a massive way for me. I just <laughs> don't like it. Uh, you know, there's things I do like about it. I think that would be cool. I'd like, I'd like to see that movie, but you know, on the other hand, it's just, you know, I'm kind of bummed out that like, not only we're not getting the deep fakes yet, but we're still getting the remakes of every single movie, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's no like original ideas. So, you know, how is that going to impact us at work? How is having an avatar going to impact us at work? Having, um, you know, augmented reality goggles where I'm wearing my glasses and instead of seeing my coworkers' faces, I've decided I want to see giraffe faces mm -hmm. and everyone looks like giraffes because oh, you can do that on Instagram now, right? <laughs> no, I know. Yeah. Once it's in your, like your, I don't know, your ocular implant or whatever, then, you know, just, it, it all seems real weird, you mm -hmm. know? <laughs> yeah. I think that you're spot on because well, in, in the black mirror series, you know, they just put like the, something the size of a nickel on their temple and then they're actually experiencing whatever it is in that virtual world. Right. But the ocular implant, uh, that's going to be like you put contacts on because even in that movie, once you get attached to whatever that virtual reality experience is, then your eyes, they look like they got cataracts over them, but it was like the ocular implant, like what you were describing. Now you're inside. And I'm just going, this is, this can go really bad, really fast. Well, and it doubles back too, right? So, you know, kind of like simulation hypothesis, which is to say that if we can imagine that if we're doing that now, that in a hundred years, that technology is going to be really good. And in a thousand years, that technology is is going to be nearly identical to reality that we're living in. So then looking backwards, who's to say that we're not actually in the simulation that someone created in a, th a thousand years? Hello. Exactly. Brought in the us matrix. Back to the matrix. Where Isabella's like, you know what? I'm going to go for fun. I'm going to go back and live right before AI took over everything mm -hmm. and just see what it was like back then. Yeah. You know, or, or even, you know, maybe more morbid is that AI destroyed the planet completely. And actually what they're doing is sending people back into the matrix here with the same set of problems going through the same uh, virtual motion so that we can see if, if, if us in the matrix can figure out a solution to the problems that they couldn't so that they can fix it. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of democratizing like intellect because maybe there's only a thousand people left, but they can create a world with 3 billion people in it on multiple servers and see if all the people within that universe can create, can fix the problem that they're um, dealing with in, in their dimension. Mm. Keep an eye out for a black cat that's walking through the room <laughs> at any point in time. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh man. It's not, it's not a podcast without some kind of existential horror, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it has to be that way. Okay. So remote blended on site flex work, Personally, again, I think that what we're going to want to have is the best of it. We're still going to want to be able to work remotely and have flexible hours, but we are also made, we're human and we crave human connection. So people will get tired of this. Even those that are extremely introverted in their communication and processing skills, it's going to be sink or swim. So you are either going to have to get used to being around people 
or you're going to be severely handicapped. Um, Mm. Yeah. So I feel like there's this place where going into a community office is going to be what happens and having non-assigned workstations, but things that it, it will be very different from what it is that we have now. That three-day work week could be the same because I also sit here and I think, well, if our human population is continuing to scale, what are the jobs that we're going to have? Then where is it that we end up, you know, how do we split up those jobs? What is it that becomes the priorities in life? You know, is it the job or what? Totally. Well, that's a, it's a real crux for Americans because like our national identity is like, we work hard, (laughs) you know, when there's really no more work to be done hard, we're like, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I agree. You know, I, uh, right now we have an HQ, um, but almost everybody works remote. Mm-hmm. Um, we have folks that, you know, work hundred percent remote cause they're out of the state. Um, so, you know, I know how to get everybody into the office. You just bribe them with food, you know, so <laughs> that'll continue forever. Oh, food is great. That's, that's yeah. why you want to get like, wait, wait, did Ryan get bagels? He's like, okay, yeah. I'm coming into work. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, uh, and it's, it's kind of different for different people. You know, some people absolutely have to come into the office, you know, whether that they don't like their roommate or um, they don't have a conducive workspace, like they want to come in or they, they like it a little bit more. And some people uh, just absolutely can't stand the commute. So I think the, the flexibility is, is always going to be kind of a challenge of like, you know, how much do we do in person? How much do we do remote? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also wonder, is that going to restrict, um, side, side gigs? Because now you'll know more about what people have to disclose because it could be a conflict of interest. You could be working with a competitor as, you know, maybe you're doing marketing, right. For a company. And are you also then working with a competitor of mine at the same time that I think that there's, again, ethical questions that come into play, things that are compromising and people put a lot of stuff on social. Personally, I don't, I put stuff out there for business purposes, but not because it's about me. Yeah, totally. Um, I agree. Everyone's got these different preferences and now with all the preferences being acceptable, um, it, it, people are just, it's baked in now, you know, I mean, I had so many bad bosses and so many tyrants and just mean people that did or required things because they said so, um, that we're, we're that's kind of getting thrown on its head, you know, there, you have to make compelling reasons now to, to kind of tinker with somebody's time. And I, I think that's positive. Mm-hmm. So robots, do you guys have any robots that you've seen? Like in, I know that in some places people have told me they've seen them in restaurants where they are like here in, in Florida, in Osceola County, uh, Kissimmee, there's a restaurant restaurant that brings food to people. I mean, a robot that brings food to people at the table, even drinks. And then there's a state park, uh, where robots also bring food to people in the state park. Have you seen anything like that up there where you are? Man, I have not seen robots yet. Really? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm waiting to see those Boston dynamic dogs. You right? know what I'm talking those about? Those are They're, amazing. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I haven't seen robots yet, huh. which uh, I don't know. I don't know the if I, how I'm feeling about robots. Yeah. I'll tell you it, while we're kind of on the spooky tech stories, did you read that uh, transcription of the, the Google AI chat bot? Oh, that one that came out, I think it was like, no, I don't think I know if it's recent. No, I haven't seen it. But if it's this chat bot that was before COVID where they interview somebody or no, they're having a phone call and this person thinks they're calling to get a, uh, a hair appointment, a haircut. And it was totally a whole automated computerized conversation. Really, really high. You would have said, <laughs> yes, that's a real person because the ums oh let me check just a minute okay i'm looking no i don't see it yeah is that yeah. what you're talking about no no oh. so so google has some top secret ai um <clears throat> ai program and they had some one one person on their team i think he's like an ethicist or something like that he's some guy basically went in and interviewed the program and he ended up like leaking the transcription and then he got fired from Google for doing that because it was kind of like breach of their intellectual property, obviously, but it was really spooky. I mean, this like uh, AI chatbot was was talking about like it, it doesn't like when people are mean to it and, and he was making a compelling case of why it's conscious and... Um, <laughs> I, mean, I see it. You, I just Googled it. I you, went, oh my God, I found it. You got to read the transcriptions of this AI chatbot. It says because, when Lambda talked to a Google engineer, turns out it had help. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, even if it was totally AI, I wouldn't have gone and said like, hey, this thing is conscious. You can tell it's, it's, it's kind of, uh, uh, algorithmically producing answers it thinks the audience wants to hear in a way like there it didn't seem conscious to me but it seemed like the there was enough emotional like material in the the responses that it was a little spooky you know mm, i'm gonna pull this one up yeah i'm kind of i i kind of feel like bill burr in this is like just unplug it just unplug that thing before it figures it out <laughs> realizes that humans are not in the best outcomes for the machine and you know then it is the matrix yeah or um the one with i'll be back what was terminator that? yeah terminator i never watched those movies i just know that phrase i'll be back i go yeah, yeah that could happen <laughs> too yeah i could see that possibly happening yeah it, it's, and sadly it's it's easier for us to see how well, something horrible ends in a catastrophic way than like something beautiful <laughs> that is very true and it's just i think human nature to see see what could be the bad side of it just i think it's a way to protect ourselves yeah and hopefully escape from it but i feel like that there's um there's always beautiful things and i let's go ahead and look at something that was beautiful that was created so do you have something that comes to mind? Because I do. <clears throat> Please share. Okay. So one of the things that has come out of um, some really great AI is that we've been able to take people that haven't been able to speak to mm. be able to communicate um, in ways that they had never been able to do before. So if you look at uh, the scientist 
that, you know, he had to write out all of his speech in a computer and to be able to, to speak. Um, that is a way that people were able to communicate well, where before they never had a voice. So I feel like, yes, there's a lot of really good things that have happened. I feel like that there are um, like the goggles that people have created so that those that are colorblind can actually see the world in color. And then those that are deaf with ocular um, um, implants, no, whatever it is that we implant inside for our e hearing, that becomes something that now they can hear sounds and they can also uh, speak, you know, and be able to have normal speech. Like those things are, are amazing. And when you see them, you see that reaction of that person and how they just weep for joy because they can see something that they've never seen or heard or been able to do before. It's amazing. It would go even to the same with, um, the, any type of bionics that were created for either walking or for being able to move your arms and just being able to feel like you're a whole person. I think that's huge. Boy, that really speaks to me. I mean, for some reason, I get really excited about seeing prosthetics. I just think they're so cool, you know, where you have like, you know, someone's missing their, their leg from the knee down and they have one of right. those cool, like a metal, like, um, almost looks like suspension, you know? Yeah. yeah. Or that there was a guy that awesome Olympic athlete that got like a bronze in sprinting. I mean, I think he murdered his girlfriend and a couple months later, kind of threw off all the enthusiasm for his athletic performance, but like he's a Olympic sprinter with like prosthetics, you know, yeah. it's really cool. I, I, uh, it, it's such a good point, you know, that, that so much good has come. I, I saw uh, a device that was helping blind people, um, be able to see kind of an air quotes, but also be able to, to navigate rooms, um, was the most important thing. And the way they did it is it was kind of like a, a pad that went on top of their tongue. Um, and they kind of targeted the tongue because there's so many nerve endings in the tongue. It's got extreme sensitivity that you can learn. So what happens is you'd wear like a glasses that has a camera looking into the, into the room. And then it's projecting kind of like a topographic representation of what's in the room, um, onto your tongue. And wow. so you, yeah, you, you, and the people very quickly began to totally understand as they move and they see like a glass in front of them, they can see it with their tongue and move their hand and they can see their hand and grab the glass, you know? So, I mean, that stuff is absolutely incredible. It's, yeah. it's so cool. Yeah. And al although like social media and like uh, the media and everything, it seems to have like separated us more than ever. I think it's also made us like overall more compassionate and understanding. Um, I think a, a lot of times people's outrage online is kind of an experiment um, of with like what they believe and they they're out there, you know, trying to create reactions. Um, but largely, I think that experimentation with personal identity also starts to make you maybe more malleable to, to make you a little bit more in tune with other people's perspectives and perhaps where those extremes are and where you can walk it back a little bit, maybe in your daily life, you know? Mm -hmm. So as much as, as much vitriol is online, I haven't seen it reproduced outside. You know, everyone I meet is always nice. 
mm-hmm. most for the most part. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, people will always show their nicest self to complete strangers and to those that are not the ones they live with. Uh, we only take that mask off, I think, with a very few people yeah. that we have close relationships with. So, yeah, totally. Unfortunately, <laughs> what do they call well, it? My daughter, my daughter called it trauma dumping. Well, wow, how old are your kids? Oh, uh, she's, she's 15 and my son's 13. Okay. So, wow. Um, they're very articulate and they have a pretty good grasp as to what's going on in the world, the, the good and the bad. So it sounds like, you know, you and your wife must be doing a really good job of keeping them uh, healthy in their perspective of life and uh, disappointments, helping to manage disappointments as well as joys. Oh, thank you. I, I hope so. I mean, I, we got kind of got lucky because they're just out of the box. We're pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it was just kind of like, don't mess it up. Cause you know, they're pretty yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Kids don't come with parenting instructions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, some of them, boy, parents. <laughs> <laughs> parents gave you the parenting instructions, right? Uh, that's right. Examples of what to do and what not to do. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, so hard to believe it's like time has flown, but what is the best mentoring advice that you want to share with our listeners? Um, as far as being a mentor or being mentored, it can be both. I would say to be on either side of that table. You know, if you, if you want to get the most out of a mentorship, mentor somebody else, you know, and, um, if you need, uh, uh, a mentor or uh, the other side, which would be like, if you want to be mentored, then mentor somebody else too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think if you understand both sides, it's kind of like, you know, the teacher is the student and the student is the teacher. Then I think it's, it's enriching for, for both people. It is. I agree with that. Yeah. It's just like being a, a leader, a good leader knows how to follow, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You grew up with military, um, family members. So did I. And that's one of the things that has been definitely drilled in us is you have to know when to lead. You also have to know when to follow. Yeah, absolutely. Great book on that stealing fire. It's all about seal team six and about how they are particularly adept as a unit because they can rotate between leadership so quickly and efficiently. Whoever's in front is leading. So you read like what, a book a a week or a book a month? I'm going to guess. Depends on the week or month, but yeah, some usually in that clip, probably about a week. Um, And actually I should differentiate because my son gets really upset that I say, I read a book. I listen to it on audio book. Like that's a confession, but he, he thinks it's cheating and I think it is too. (laughs) It makes it way better. (laughs) I agree. You can have the book in front of you and then you can listen to it and then absorb the words and then pause. I've done that too. That's really helpful because then I can go write in the book if I want to. I like to do that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so how can people find you? What is it? I'm going to share your website for sure. Um, but your LinkedIn profile, what else would you like us to share on social promotion? Yeah. LinkedIn is the best way to find me. I I don't think I'm on any other social media. Um, but I check LinkedIn every once in a while. And uh, if anybody has questions about podcasting, I can just be the podcasting guy. If I can't help you, then I could definitely steer you in a direction that would be, be helpful. So do you want us to use the uh, gowildcast.com to drive traffic to that website? Just ask. 
Yep. You could absolutely go check that out. Like I mentioned, we're going to be like completely relaunching here soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, check that out. Um, and then the other one would be kitcaster.com. Gotcha. All right. Well, then we will make sure that we share that news with our listeners. We always do on the end of, we do video for those that um, maybe cannot hear it. They can actually watch the video podcast and we do closed captions so that they can follow along with the conversation. We have transcripts available to them, but for those that uh, prefer also the listening side, well, you'll miss out on this on the last card of the show on the video show is all of those links. So you don't have to go look them up. So go look for us on YouTube and you'll find uh, those videos for sure. Well, I want to thank you, Ryan, cool. so yes, much for being on the uh, show. It's been delightful. I've had never had this much fun in a conversation in quite a while because we we kind of went to all of the conspiracy theories and I went, not many people <laughs> go on that walk with me. So I appreciate it. <laughs> and we didn't even really start on aliens. No, we didn't. I'll get lost in the aliens. No, Isabella, this has been awesome. And I appreciate your uh, encouragement about writing a book. I'm serious. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would love to. I, I, I am terrified of it, but um, yeah. I appreciate the Well, you've got a title, so you've got that down. <laughs> you can write your inspiration piece, your forward, whatever you want to call it, acknowledgement. That's easy to do. Like, you know, who is it that you're going to say is your inspiration there? And that's going to be all of your family more than likely. And then the monks also. And so then you, dedication, that's really what it's called. And then you also have your outline because if you're using all of the mantras, I'm going, come on now, like all the hard stuff is already there. So you've done it. I'm just waiting for the AI to write it for me. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I'm going to tell you, that's what auto dictating is for. As you, just yeah. like, you know, the words that are in Grammarly, they're picking up, oh, you didn't spell this right here. Use this word instead. So it's, <laughs> it's helping <only>. you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you so much for having me. I had a wonderful time. And as we are wrapping up our show, we want to thank our sponsor, Cat5 Studios. Thank you to our production team, Ayana Sanders, and our video interns, Josue Gonzalez, Dina Burke, Lester Eccles, and Gio Vargas. Our music is by Sophie Lloyd. And we would like to have your inclusion tip of the week. We are looking for people to share those tips with us. Be sure to record it. On an audio file, send it to info at e4c.tech and include your name and where you work. And we're going to send you Intern Pursuit Games uh, green screens. And visit Employers for Change. This show is brought to you by Employers for Change so that you can also learn how to create real diversity and inclusion culture while scaling your people for the future of work. That is your interns, people, all the way up to your senior leaders. Thank you so much. And you can find us on your favorite streaming channel.